Welcome to Weekday Worship, Taking the Gospel Beyond Sunday. I think we're approaching our 10th episode. 10th episode, Weekday Worship! I have no clue if this is the 10th episode. I'm rounding up, probably. I think it is. Do you want to have like a... Should there be like a celebration? Um, I mean, we could do like a... <laughs> Should we give out like uh, we, maybe one we free t-shirt or swag to... Yeah, one free t-shirt. We've got t-shirts on the way from Adam Barker, who is... Uh, do we? I mean, you can order them. <laughs> <laughs> you can order one per person. <laughs> it takes a while, but... So it's not like we have them ordered and yeah. they're being shipped and they will be Like we don't even have people. one yet. No, we do not have. But it. if you want to play, pay an exorbitant price for one T-shirt. Yeah, what do they cost? Just, you know, I don't know. We'll have to talk to our to our marketing guy. Should we that. give away a free T-shirt to like the first person who does something? Maybe at the end of the season. End of the season. End of the season. What's the season? We're taking a break in December. That's the season. Yeah. Oh, we're doing seasons like they do. Uh, uh, what do you call it? Like, uh, I don't know. The f- like, like a bachelor season is like half a year, so they can have more seasons or something like that. I don't watch. The- Hold on, I don't watch The Bachelor. I just you, want to put you, that out. You there. knew the season layout. I, I think that's how it works. You know what I do know is um, what's the cooking show? Chopped. Chopped does seasons like that. I, I ever since I left, moved out of my parents' house, I no longer watch the Food Network because that was on twenty three like hours. A of the not day. so subtle dig at me. Being like your parents, I mean that's so a total. Like you. That's how parents wind how down your, at night. Watch. How old are your parents? Uh, early fifties. Is that <laughs> is that like how what I would consider early fifties, like fifty eight, or is that <laughs> like is that like what you would consider early fifties, like fifty two? Yeah, I are you? Is, I, your mom's a listener to the pod. Would she be upset if we talked about her age here? I don't know. I guess I'll find out. All right, Mrs. Hawkins, take it easy on him. Take it easy on him. Early, early 50s. Early, early 50s. Early, early 50s. Yeah. Okay. So So I'm I'm actually probably technically then closer to your parents' age than yours. Yes. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Wow. That's true. I'm still a young man. You are not. (laughs) Speaking of recent events like your birthday, it was also pastor appreciation this past Sunday. Do you feel appreciated? I do feel appreciated, yeah. Yeah, sufficiently appreciated. Do you? Uh, <laughs> you wanted more than that. I wanted. More <laughs> I can see you wanted me to respond more I than that. I wanted you to say I mean, how I was great like, we are. As, like uh, I was all emotional and like crying and stuff. Is that not enough for you? You shed a tear, yeah. Shed a tear. Real men cry. I was holding it together like barely, like you know. I mean, it was about to unravel there. So yeah, and then you got a car show just for you. Car show, helicopter show, helicopters. How odd was that? Yeah. So for those of you who maybe weren't there in person, we we had a little bit of a barbecue uh, after the service and to celebrate. I don't was it a. It was a pastor appreciation. Pastor appreciation celebration. Slash ten year anniversary slash your birthday slash McLean's birthday <laughs> slash an excuse for barbecue. For, by yeah. Joe so we have this thing out in the parking lot, which was supposed to be very peaceful and quiet and pleasant, and just our church hanging out in the open air and safely and all that stuff. And instead, you go outside, and for the next couple of hours, there was uh, dozens and dozens of six-figure, seven-figure cars, right? Uh, revving their engines, showing yes. their stuff, like strutting, as and, I like to call peacocking. Uh, peacocking, yes, and a couple of helicopters, yes, 
as well as a whole bunch of drones flying around. Yes. Like, it looked like the set of like Nitro Circus. It, I felt like it, like we, it was like we left church and went to a Fast and Furious conference. Yeah. Like, it was, it was Fast and Furious con. Or like when megachurches have like Harley Day or something. Have you ever seen that? Well, they'll have like... <laughs> oh, by the way, next Sunday Generations is Harley Day. Harley, so bring your Harleys. Yes. Rob. <laughs> Lonnie. Yeah, Lonnie that, and Rob. Uh, I think Paul Wilson got rid of his. Oh, so we may have a couple... Maybe Josiah can ride his bike. Borrow your neighbors. <laughs> uh, you know, in our church, a Vespa would count for a Harley. <laughs> so feel free to bring your Vespa. Maybe a moped. <laughs> a yes. segue. Yeah. No, it was a, it was a lovely Sunday. I appreciated it. Um, I it was you know, uh, yeah, it was good. It was good. And we got good. you know we were given uh, a lot of a lot of cards and just nice notes and um, yeah. a video. I got you some nice gifts. You did get me a nice, like, my favorite, one of my favorite gifts, for sure, was uh, um, Caleb. I wish, oh, I would drink out of my mug this morning for oh, the nice. first time. Nice. And uh, Don't, don't even, don't, don't go there. Don't, don't go with, uh, with the All right, I won't. I'll, maybe next week. the shirt, week. the shirt was nice. The shirt was nice. A Francis Schaefer homage. I don't, people aren't going to know what you mean by that. <laughs> you, you had, I bought you a you shirt. You bought me a shirt with a face of Fran- with, with Francis Schaefer's Fra- face. Francis Schaefer's face plastered on it. Yes. So now you're fanboying. I'm fanboying Francis Schaefer. Over your favorite theologian. Yeah. He's good. Yeah. It, the funny thing is he's not well known enough that people will see it and go, oh, Francis Schaefer. There was a day when he probably They'll be was, like, but today no. Who is yeah. that strange looking man on your shirt? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It'll be an interesting conversation starter, I'm sure. For sure. Absolutely. Okay, no more small talk. We're cutting it short today because we have a big topic, a huge topic. <sighs> A topic that I'm probably the most excited about. Uh, it's interesting. I just want to I, I want to put you at ease because I know this was stressful for you last time. Mm-hmm. I do not even have on my person my sound effects. Yeah, today. no funny business today. This is a no, no sound we're, effects. We're talking about I want you to God today. yeah. I want you to be relaxed and at peace with where we are, and not feel like yeah. I might at any moment chime in yeah. with like a or something okay. like that. He made that with his own mouth. This <laughs> mouth. <laughs> yes, it took a lot of energy. Yeah. I'm going to need to take a nap now. Okay. But so on our topic today, well, here, well, let me preface the topic. So with this idea of weekday worship, um, we've tried to hit different areas of applying kind of a weekday worship mentality. We've talked about practical things. We've talked about like reading your Bible and, and spend uh, practical th- uh, kind of disciplines. We've talked about spirituality, repentance and faith, abiding in the gospel, um, addressing certain sins, um, and we've talked about cultural a lot, I think, on this podcast, uh, more than I thought we probably would so far. Um, those are three kind of areas of trying to engage uh, this idea of weekday worship. Um, another area that I'd like to to kind of hit and kind of cycle through is doctrine. Um, I think that's another very important part of this piece of, of trying to uh, take the gospel beyond Sundays is be rich and deep and wide um, in our doctrine. And so uh, our first kind of episode on doctrine on the podcast today is going to be on the Trinity, a pretty big topic that we're going to try to try to nail down within our... We uh, are going to solve all of your... Not probably your question. We're going to answer and resolve all of your questions and curiosities about Trinitarian theology. Yes. In 25 minutes. Yes. Two guys in a basement 
are going to solve um, oh, we did change location 2,000 years didn't of church history on trying to explain fully the doctrine of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a tall order. You don't even have you need to have your, your since we've read on. all that's written on it. Yes. Everything. Exhaustively. Yes. In every language. Yes. Latin. <laughs> big Latin. In every la- big Latin. Yeah. <laughs> yes. James's James White's book on the Trinity is in Pig Latin, I believe. Is that right? <laughs> no, it's definitely not. <laughs> okay. Or I wouldn't have read it. Okay. Okay, so here's here's how we're gonna kind of tackle this today. Is we're not we we don't have time to, to walk through all sorts of scripture on how we uh, get to the Trinity or or try to defend the Trinity from all these different positions. Uh, rather, the, I think the best way to go about this of, of just giving somebody a, a simple idea of how do we articulate the Trinity is maybe give a definition that we think is biblical of the Trinity and then try to break it down through Scripture and trying to trying to explain it that sort of thing. Um, I think this is a doctrine that doesn't get talked about enough in uh, evangelicalism. I, I, like, so, so I taught a course, uh, kind of an introductory course to systematic theology um, and apologetics over the summer to a bunch of college students um, at, a, at a ministry that's located here in the area. And uh, this topic of the Trinity was the one that people wanted the most. After we were done, people were like, give me more of this. Like, no one's ever talked about the Trinity in church to me, like, trying to explain it, trying to look through some, some issues with it. Like, it, people wanted more of this. Hmm. And um, I think that's because we, it just doesn't come up a lot for people. I think people are hard. You don't hear a lot of sermons on the Trinity. <laughs> um, it's usually kind of something that's assumed and but never really explained. So just to, I'm, I'm curious about yeah. that experience of teaching the students. Do you think that it's really that they don't hear the Trinity talked about, maybe maybe fleshed out on the doctrinal sense, but or do you think it has more to do with the fact that maybe the church doesn't talk about like a particular member of the Trinity very much. And so like specifically the Holy Spirit uh, in certain tribes where there's not a lot to like, or is it really the Trinity is not talked about a lot? I, I think the Trinity isn't talked about as a whole. I think there's hmm. usually a lot like when, when people are like when you hear sermons on the old Testament, you're hearing, you know, people really focusing on God, the father or, and then you hear sermons in the new Testament, you hear a lot of, or in the gospels, you hear this idea of, Jesus as God, and then you you know you move on to Acts, like we're in right now, where you hear a lot of talk about the Holy Spirit, and and those pieces aren't ever really put together hmm. for people. They're always just like, oh yeah, and all those three are, are yeah. God together. There's not really a here's a working definition of how we see that throughout biblical theology. So, um, I think giving someone a workable definition that's consistent, and then trying to apply that as they read the scriptures is really helpful. Now it's not an infallible definition, but it but it's a helpful way to connect the dots, I think. Yeah. So here's our definition. Here's our working definition that we're we're gonna try to unpack here of the Trinity. It's very simple. It's not exhaustive, but I think it says what it well, what we need it to say here um, about the Trinity: Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, it comes from a book ca- called The Forgotten Trinity by James White, probably my favorite book to recommend on the Trinity, which I, we'll talk about at the end. But uh, here's your definition. Within the one being that is God, there exist eternally three co-equal and co-eternal persons, namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Simple, right? And, and what, what we're saying to you when we say definition, that's not all-encompassing. 
to try to define God in a, in a few couple sentences is impossible. What we're trying to do is being as precise as we can, but not exhaustive, because how could you define the, the, the eternal God? So we're trying to uh, take what I call biblical strands of data and putting them into a sentence. So there's kind of three parts to, to this definition that we just said. Uh, the first part is there's one God. That's, that's pretty clear throughout the scriptures. The yeah. next part of the definition is, is that there are, within that one being that is God, there are three divine persons, right? So, so there's, there's three divine persons within the one being of God. And then the last part is uh, that uh, all of those persons within the Godhead are co-eternal and co-equal, mm-hmm. right? So those are the three parts. So let, let, let's, uh, let's try to break this down. The first one, the one being that, the one being of God. I mean, this is, this is I mean... I don't know how you can read the Bible and not see this uh, more emphatically stated than, than, than it is, that there is only one God. Well, it's so emphatically stated that the idea of three persons is, is really a, a huge point of contention for, for some strands of religious belief, right? Because yeah. like, there's only one God, and the idea that there could be even within the one God these three distinct personalities is, is so troubling because the scriptures are so emphatic about the... The singularity of of God. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's emphatically stated. Yeah. Uh, reinforced even yeah. by Jesus and you know throughout. And this was this very distinctive of primitive Israel in terms sure. of their 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 idea of no, there is only one God. There's not multiple gods. There's not different layers of gods. There's not mm-hmm. uh, different realms of God. There is. One God. I mean, this is their statement, right? So I'm thinking of the Shema, uh, mm-hmm. which is in the Old Very Testament. Nice. Was it was, it was the creed of all creeds for for Israel. If you're talking about, they, if, if you ask, if the Old Testament had a confession, I mean, if you could sum it up in one statement, here it is. It's uh, Deuteronomy six four. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. I mean, that's something they'd wake up and recite every day, and it's it's this very. Yeah, and that was said against the backdrop of pagan polytheism. Um, right, there was no atheism really to speak of in the ancient world, but it was really polytheism. It was many yeah. gods, and uh, I think you're going to get into that later. So I won't yeah. belabor the point, but but so that was a radical claim yeah. of the God of Israel that, that yeah. there's only one. That's one of the foundational pieces of uh, of the of Old Testament doctrine. I mean, I think it's the most distinctive doctrine. Here, so here's Isaiah kind of giving even a polemic of this idea of there is uh, only one God. In Isaiah 43, 10 through 12, he says, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. So there's this kind of... Uh, Definitive statement that there was no God before me, there's no God after me, I, there is only one God. And so that is the foundation it, it, of any idea of who God is. And even when we talk about the Trinity, we can't divorce it or not start with this foundation of biblical revelation, which is that there is one God um, in the universe. Now, when we talk about there is one God... And in our definition, we said, within the one being that is God, that's how we're defining God, is one being, there are three, there exists eternally three uh, 
divine person. So let's distinguish between being and person, right? <laughs> let's distinguish between being and person. There's a difference here in how we're defining things of being and person. So being is the what of God, okay? It's the what of God. So here's an example in terms of me, right? What If you were to ask me, what am I? How would you answer that? Or, or if I asked you, James, what am I? How would you answer that question? Or what are you? If I asked you, what are you? Yeah, I mean, that's such a big open door for so many different things right now. For sure. <laughs> but at a fundamental level. A former athlete? That's something that's, like, objective. <laughs> <laughs> a man. All right, so you're a human. You're, you're, you are Can human. Can I... I know we're being serious about the doctrine of the Trinity. Yeah. I've been waiting, and I just was remembering this. I, I've been waiting for some years to be able to authentically say, as an impersonation of Mike Gundy in a post-game press conference. Can I go? I can't. Because we're talking about who we are or what we are, right? Uh-huh. So, like, I would say about me, I'm a man. I'm 40. So I just wanted to do that real quick because I'm 40 years old now and I am a man. So that's an interesting segue. <laughs> and a very interesting segue of a... What oh, that doing? look on your face is priceless. I'm sorry. You, it, you can YouTube it, Mike Gundy rant. Just YouTube that Mike Gundy yes. rant. You'll know what it... Then, then you'll yes. see. Yes. Anyway, you're, the question is what are you and you are a man, Caleb. Right? So, so I'm a human... I'm a man. So, so what am I as human? What you are as human, when we ask, what are we? When I ask you, who are you? That's a different answer. You're James, right? I'm Caleb. Yes. That, that's my person. Who, who I am as a person is Caleb. Who you are as a person is James. But what am I as, as human? What my substance is or my essence is, is human. And, but what yeah. my person is, is individually Caleb. Mm-hmm. So, so we're of the same substance, but we're, but we're not the same person. We're not the same person. Right. So that's what we're saying when we're saying God is one. And you think, okay, how do, how do I connect that to uh, the next part of the definition? When we say God is one, we're saying God is one in substance, in essence. That the one being of God is, uh, is God. That all three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, are all one God. They're one in substance. They're one in essence. They're of the same substance. I don't know how else to say that um, a little better. So, so think of that idea. I think it's a helpful idea of, of asking the question, uh, God is one uh, when you say, what is God? But he's three when you say, who is God? Mm-hmm. Right? And um, so, so kind of some negations of that idea. If you, if you, if you were to look at the, the Bible and you reject that, and you reject the idea that God is one, that there's only one God in, uh, in essence. Um, there's things like polytheism. You know, when you think right. of like uh, people who believe in multiple gods, I, I think of maybe Hinduism. And, and uh, you, think of, sure. uh, you think of even Jehovah's Witnesses are technically polytheists in the way that they think about us becoming little gods. And there's different gods other than the one uh, true uh, God. Mormons would be in that same. Well, yeah, I think I'm, yeah, Mormons, Mormons for sure. Mormons for sure. Like demigod kind of status. Yes. Um, you think of pantheists. So the idea that everything is God, that that like... Uh, I, God is in me. God's in the trees. God's in the, the ground. He's in the mm-hmm. fish. Like there's there's these weird kind of ideas that if you if you reject the idea of one God, especially one in essence, you end up going in ways that uh, 
In better in fact, strange. Yeah, and we'll be doing an episode, I think, coming up in a few weeks on kind of Christian deconstructionism. Um, I think that was on the, the, the list of topics you wanted to cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's one of those interesting ones when we get into something like pantheism of God being in everything that is, that, that maybe seems, maybe that seems foreign to some of you, but it's actually becoming an, a, a popularized yeah. and widely embraced uh, idea among professing followers of Jesus. Yeah. Um, and so this is like, this is not trivial. No, 100%. There's a reason why this is a foundational doctrine. Yeah, because and we can't affects... assume that everybody anymore who says they yeah. believe in Jesus or follow Jesus yeah. or are a Christian, that they would necessarily be Trinitarian. Yeah. yeah. I think I think if you if you get this wrong, if you get the doctrine of God and, and the doctrine of the Trinity to some degree wrong, then from there you end up no matter where you go from there in a wrong place. It's like it's like getting uh, the first button on your shirt wrong. Every other button's gonna be wrong because you got that first foundation. I've done off. that so many times. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I've seen it on Sunday mornings. <laughs> I don't think I've ever done it. I mean, I've gotten it corrected uh, before, but. Uh, okay, so anyway. so we've kind of hit on a bit, but moving on to our second part of the, the the definition after establishing that God is one in essence, He's one in substance, He is one in being. Right there's three divine persons, and we said that you know monotheism. When we talk about monotheism, we're monotheists that we believe that the being of God is one, but we're also trinitarians, right? Mm-hmm. And when we say we're trinitarians, we're speaking uh, to the person of God. The question, go ahead. I, I, I wanted to go back. Well, is this where we might talk about modalism too? As yeah, a, we're going to get okay. into that. All right, for sure, cool. Yeah, I just wasn't sure if we skipped past that in mm-hmm. the, the last part. Um, so now that we've established what is God which he's one in being, we're asking, who is God? And this is where we, this is where we become distinctive. Because there's other people who, be, who believe in monotheism, that God is one. Yes. Right? We think about Islam. Islam. They believe in a monad God. Judaism. They believe in a, a Judaism. Right? So they, they, they're in the same, that first pillar. Um, and in uh, fact, they would allege that we are not. Yeah. Monotheists. By a misunderstanding, that the, they would claim that we are not monotheists. Right. That would be a point of contention if you were to talk mm-hmm. to either a, a faithful, probably Jewish yeah. person or a, a Muslim. But this is so. So where we differ and how we start to differ is we look at the biblical strands of data, pull them together, and we see this second strand. The first strand was right. We see this consistently that God is one in being. That the Lord our God is one. Right. So there's this this absolute. A declaration that there is only one God, but we see the second uh, strand of uh, of biblical data or biblical revelation that says uh, uh, that there's a clear and consistent differentiation between the persons of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Right? Never does the Bible identify the Father as a Son, the Son as a Spirit, or the Spirit as the Father. Right. Right. And so, so we see this idea of of three uh, distinct distinct persons. Uh, that are not the same. They're always being distinguished from each other. And that's not to mean persons as in, we think of persons as humans, yeah. right? So Yeah, as personalities, right? right? So, yes. so we're talking about it. There's a, there's a distinct uh, recognition of the Father as a right. person who is God. There's also a distinct recognition of the Son mm-hmm. who is God. And there's also a distinct recognition of the Holy Spirit 
um, who is God. So, so we're, we're putting these pieces of biblical uh, data together is yeah, what we're the, doing and, here. And some would say, of course, right, like this would be a, a common pushback as well. Why would we have a Trinitarian doctrine when there, the, the word Trinity or triunity mm-hmm. or whatever never appears in the Bible and such? Yeah. And, and so one of the things we would say is that while the word Trinity never appears in the Bible, the idea of the Trinity yeah. is all over the it's contents. Of the Bible. Its contents are there. Right. We're using shorthand to be very precise in what we're saying. Right. And we all do that. In any, in, in any, in any field you think of that you've, you've ever worked in or you, or if you went to school, uh, shorthand, what it does is gives you precise language about content that's usually vast to explain. Sure. And so that's, what, that's why we would use a word like Trinity, and we all do that in, mm-hmm. in different ways. Um, and I, here's, here's where the battle usually is, because no one really denies, at least in, in, these, in these kind of debates over uh, between monotheists and other religions and stuff, um, or Christian cults or, or heresies, that the Father is God. Everybody, everybody kind of agrees, yeah, the Father um, is God. He is, mm-hmm. he is this one God. Um, and yes, there's debate about the Holy Spirit, but the real battle, battle always is usually over the Son. Yep. Is is Jesus God, or is He the Father? And is Him and the Father the same person? Or well, this is, is one of the distinctives of what we would classify right as cults. Yes, right, where they have a doctrine of the Son that is other than what we believe you yeah. know, Scripture is. That doesn't add up to the biblical. That either data. robs Him of His humanity or robs Him of His deity. Yes. So. Yes. Or robs him of his distinctiveness. Right. Yeah. Right? Um, so you think, here, here, here's some examples of that. So, yeah. you, so there's uh, Jehovah's Witnesses we've mentioned. They don't believe that Jesus is God. They believe he's the highest created being. Mm-hmm. So they believe that God created Jesus and made him to, to like greater than humans, but he's a, yeah. he's a created being. Yeah, he's like a little between. Yeah. Um, he's not fully God. Um, at all, the fall, the Father uh, created him. You think about um, subordinationism, so that's a that's a big term, but that that really means that uh, the the idea that the Son is somehow below the Father um, in terms of uh, importance mm-hmm. and in terms of authority, right? And in terms it, of this takes the I, so we're going to talk probably later about this idea of. Um, uh, the summary would be the idea of an ontological equality, meaning they're equal in their deity yes. and in their godness, co-equal. Their, yes. There's, there's, but there's a functional subordination, meaning that they willfully, of their own, uh, of their own will or volition, submit to one another and subordinate. So the son subordinates himself functionally to the father. That's why the father yeah. can send the son and the son obeys all that the father yeah. says or, or, or he only does what the father yeah. tells him to do. And that's why the son can then, and the father and son can send the spirit yeah. who subordinates himself to them at a functional yeah. level. But that's not the same as subordinationism. No. It's which a, is talking about their essence. When, when we're diminished. talking about that, when you think about the, the son and the father and the son submitting to the father's will, we're talking about a, a, a function of unity, not a function of dominance. Right. Right. So there's yeah. this unity of the father and son working in tandem in this way. Yeah. And how they outwork God, the Godhead's plan, um, the Godhead's will, right? But it's not a dominance. It doesn't mean that the the Father has this tyrannical uh, uh, kind of control over the Son right. or the Spirit. They're all unified, uh, co eternal, co equal yeah. in status. And we'll, we'll get to that. Um, but the one that you were talking about earlier, in terms of one that denies these biblical strands of data, is modalism. Yeah. Um, sometimes called oneness. Um, Sometimes called uh, Sabellianism, 
um, those have distinctions. But this is the idea, and this is that I think a lot of Christians have a have an idea of or use a, a modalism in their head that they don't realize they're using. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea of this is uh, that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all one God, meaning they just kind of they just kind of shape shift, right? Yeah, the, it makes God sort of amorphous, and that he he like at one time he's the Father, and then he kind of yeah. becomes the Son and functions that way. But he's not all three simultaneously. Yeah. But rather, he takes different forms. Yeah. In different periods or e- epochs or eras yeah. of time. So the Father was in the Old Testament. That was God. Oh, right. In the New Testament times, you know, during the early during Jesus' ministry, Jesus was came as God, right. and that's all and God was. And now we're in the age of the Spirit. And now we're in the age of the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is uh, is the uh, is kind of the, the the manifestation of who God is. Right. And of course, I think if you like nailed somebody on this, like in inside evangelicalism, there's groups that believe this. Like there's huge sure. groups that believe this. Um, but here's how it, I think. Here's how I think it works out when we think of. Uh, when we think of these things, not in a, not in a, if you press somebody, this is their, where they're going to be, but how it kind of outworks um, uh, kind of under the surface is, I think people have an idea that like the Old Testament was like when the father was, was like dominant and he was around. Mm-hmm. The, the New Testament gospel times were, were when Jesus was kind of the, uh, that was when the, you connected with Jesus so the most, right? And now the Holy Spirit is kind of our main uh, main way we interact with God when no, it's it, it's clear um, that even when you read the scriptures, that uh, all three have a part to play equally in how we connect and 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 get to God and, and interact with God. There, there's not this kind of a epoch of of revelation of God that's more dominant than the other. Right. There's certainly you know you look at different times and how this doctrine came out, but in terms of how we we should be engaging with all three of those: the Father, the Son, and Spirit. Right. Yeah, um, and 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 keep having the distinctiveness in mind is so critical to that because there are ways in which, and we might cover this at, at the end, right, as we get to the end of the, the the doctrinal piece of this, in terms of just the outworking. But like, Father, Son, and Spirit are all active in our um, salvation. Mm-hmm. They all play parts in that. They're all active in creation. They're all yeah. active in our sanctification. And and so there, there, there are distinct roles that they play within these different aspects of our um, of our you know human experience here, but our connection to God and yeah. living in with in reality with God. So and this is like I said, we don't have time to like walk through, okay, where do we see all these distinctions of persons? But if I promise you, just read the introductions to every New Testament epistle. Particularly Ephesians 1. Yeah. You see the, always these distinctions of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You see this recognition of, of Jesus as God, but then referring to the Father and others. It's, just, it's, kind, of, it's kind of assumed in the New Testament almost. Like mm-hmm. I heard one, one of my favorite theologians talk about this. He said, you want to know where the doctrine of the Trinity is revealed? It's in between the pages. Because it's so assumed within how the the, the apostles talk about um, the distinctions between the persons, kind of naturally, mm-hmm. um, and so like you can think of John one, you can think of other passages. I, I don't really want to focus there. I, I wanted to bring up one that sometimes gets confusing, and this is a, a, a verse that some students brought up to me when we were talking about kind of objections to the. Or, or, or uh, verses that a modalist or the modalist idea would use to kind of 
uh, say, no, that doesn't make sense that the Father and Jesus are distinct persons. And it's this, uh, this verse in John 10, uh, 29 and 30, um, and it says this, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of, my father, out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And I've heard this. I've heard, uh, I've heard a Molus speak like this where, you see, Jesus and the Father are one. They're one person. You, you're trying to make them distinct, but Jesus specifically says that they are one person here in this verse. And so is that true? I don't think so. Here's why. Is when, when you look at this verse, even in the English here, we could look at the Greek, but even in the English here, verse 30 says, I and the Father are one. What is the are when, he's, when he uses the verb are, right, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a plural verb, meaning are, meaning I and the Father are one. That's a distinctive between the Father and the Son, saying that they are one in what? Can't be in person because he's using a, a verb that, that implies a plural people. Yeah, so he's speaking relationally. Relationally. And here's, here's, here's where I think a lot of the debates get caught up in Trinity is it, it's a lot of proof texting, proof texting. And uh, proof texting being the the um, unhelpful practice of taking a single verse or verses uh, from scripture yeah. without keeping in mind its context or the rest of scripture, and then trying to de- develop a, a doctrine or a truth yes. from that that yes. isolated piece of scripture without the larger context. Yes. So. One of my one of my professors always likes to say, um, a, a text without a pretext. I mean, a text without a context is a pretext. Okay, yeah. And yeah. Um, so even you look at here in this verse, if you were to read John 10, and even verse 29 that I just mentioned, when it says, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. You read that passage in John 10. What is, the, what, is, what is the overarching kind of thing that Jesus is getting across? It's the Father and Jesus' unity in saving uh, his people. In keeping so, his so people. So there's a unity and there's a oneness in will and, and, and uh, their desire to save people. Uh, that that has to be distinguished between their different roles within that, uh-huh. right? Yeah. So there, yeah, and there's this uh, a shared determination both to save and to keep. Right? Yes, and that's like that emphasis of like that none can snatch, you know, no one is able to snatch. Yeah, there's a hands. unified purpose of the Father and Son in saving people. There, right. I don't think you can. I don't think you can understand and read the Bible uh, with this idea that the Father and Jesus are one, and <clears> then. And then see how they're they're distinct and how they act in the saving of peoples. The Father's sending of the Son. The yeah, and what's so, what's so important at a functional, like personal level for us there as we relate to God out of this is that there are many people, and some of you probably feel this way, and, and I've certainly been in this place before, where I have found it really easy to love Jesus as the one who came and sacrificed himself for me, as the one who suffered and identified with us in our humanity and frailty in that sense. And as Hebrew says, is this high priest of ours who's not unable to sympathize with us in our weakness. Um, and yet in our confusing them as not one, and, and maybe a functional way that we, we kind of keep them as distinct, we, we kind of look at the Father with this sort of eye of, of, of distrust or skepticism, like he's a little more severe. Yeah. So God, the Father's kind of severe and a little judgy and kind of ill-tempered. Um, but man, thank goodness we have Jesus, the Son, mm-hmm. who came and, and actually loved us and was gracious yeah. and sacrificed and suffered for us, atoning for sin and such. Um, 
and and part of what Jesus is saying here when he says that I and the Father are one is that Jesus, in any way that Jesus is revealing the compassion and the mercy and the grace of God, you need to understand that he's revealing the very heart and essence of the Father toward us. Yeah. That he is that that God is all of those same things towards us. And it's important that we understand if if you are that we not uh, make the mistake of, of taking uh, our ideas and uh, woundedness from our relationships with earthly fathers and then uh, uh, project that onto God the Father's uh, disposition, let's say, and then distinguish that from the Son and, and thinking more of the Son than we do of the Father. Yeah. Um, like Jesus isn't trying to convince the Father to like get over his... His uh, anger toward us. There's not and, a tension there, right? They are they are one in the sense of uh, of their ministry towards us and their union in terms of their intentions toward us. And so, uh, if, if there's a sense in which you love Jesus, connect to that. You need to understand He's embodying for us the heart of the Father. Yeah. So, so just a quick before we move on, a quick word on the Holy Spirit. I don't want to leave. <laughs> Him out of this. Be very it? quick on this because we don't want to talk too much about the Holy Spirit. Just I'm, that's a joke, dude. Don't, I'm joking. I'm joking. No, he's not. He was serious. <laughs> a word on the Holy Spirit. A word on the Holy Spirit. So there's a, a very famous verse that even talks about this this uh, three distinct persons as uh, the one being of God's very famous verse at the end of Matthew, where it talks about what we should baptize the names in. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So it's Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. So something that... That's a great commission, man. 100. A wonderful <laughs> commission. Yes. Right. And um, what it, why I bring up this verse is I, I, when you hear a lot of people talk about the Holy Spirit, they... They tend to talk about him as an it. Say, so, you know, I sense the the presence of the spirit as like this kind of a an impersonal force. Yes, like this kind of Star Wars force right. kind of deal, right? And or as in Spaceballs, the the Schwartz, <laughs> a Spaceballs reference. Wow. <laughs> May the Schwartz be with you. Oh my god! That was, no, have you not seen this movie? Oh my gosh! I've seen Spaceballs. I commend Spaceballs to you all. Wow! Yeah. That's a, anyway. What a resource! I, but I'm saying that's not the way to think of the Holy Spirit. No, no. So. There's this idea that the Holy Spirit is kind of an it. People wouldn't say that outright, but that's how they function with the Holy Spirit. And it's pretty clear in Scripture, not only in this passage and others, that Holy Spirit is a person, not not a force. He's a he's a person. He is a he. Right, I, I, you introduce a person as a as a him or a her, and you refer to them as a person. It's like if I introduced my wife as "Hey, it," you know, this is this is it, right? There's like that would be super weird, and I would be in trouble for that, right? I thought about saying that about Betsy when I was up after the Paul Ulrich spoke about pastor appreciation, and I was thinking like. Betsy's been a wonderful ministry partner. I just wanted to thank it for all that it does. <laughs> yeah, I there were probably probably some, would have been gone gone poorly. Yeah, it wouldn't has been a sweet of a moment. <laughs> People would have thought you were a big <laughs> a big jerk. Yeah. Okay, so moving on here to the last kind of part of I, our definition. Well, Go ahead. Before we push past that too quickly, yeah. like I believe this to be probably the most under utilized. I'll say that may not be the best word, but the most underutilized. Um, p- 
portion of our relating to God. I think most of us do relate to God, the Father, in some sense, even if it's with that sort of skeptical eye towards Him at times. It's acknowledged. And, and yeah, and we relate to Jesus as a part. But the Holy Spirit is a person who we are in connection with and who we have relationship with. And Jesus, you know, tells us in the Gospels, like, how much more uh, will God not give us the Spirit yeah. to those who ask? And so... I really believe that engaging at a personal, conscious, willful level with the person of the Holy Spirit is a um, is one of the more deadening and weakening uh, dimensions of our of our spiritual life in our mm-hmm. current climate, where people are not consciously relating to God the Spirit in this way as like a daily dependent um, uh, part of their their life with God. Yeah, and something we think we need to recover. Yeah, for sure. So the last part of our definition here, as we've talked about, um, that the we said within the one being that is God, there exist eternally three co-equal and co-eternal persons, namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we've talked about the one being of God. So there's one God in being uh, within three uh, divine persons. And what we're what we're lastly saying here is that these persons, these divine persons. Father, Son, and Spirit are co-equal and co-eternal. Now we've talked about this a little bit, and uh, but I just want to bring out a scripture here that kind of illustrates this, um, because this is part of the part of the battle over you know trying to especially over Jesus uh, as the Son uh, being eternally God. You know uh, the, we see this obviously in John one and. And, uh, and other places, um, but the idea that he has eternally been God. Um, there's, a, there's a verse here in John 17, verses 3 through 5, that, that illustrates this, and uh, where Jesus says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Mm. Right, so there's this idea that Jesus, he didn't become, <laughs> he wasn't glorified when he was supposedly created or when he uh, when he came to earth. He he has been eternally in a state of glorification with the Father um, forever. Mm-hmm. So there's this uh, some like as, as distinctly as the Son, mm-hmm. right? Not as something else. He's always been the Son. And he's always been eternally glorified. So some people call this the, the eternal generation of the Son, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, Jesus has been the, the eternal Son of God as God uh, in eternity past, now, and forever. It, and this is part of the testimony of John when he's bearing witness to this in the opening of his yeah. gospel, right? When he says, in the beginning was the Word, yeah, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? And yes. then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So what he's saying is, is that Jesus has been... From the beginning, so in eternity past, with the with God and is God. So yeah. I mean, that's a, John one one is a is a emphatic Trinitarian statement. One hundred percent. There's a recognition of of Jesus as uh, being God. He's he's God in being. He is the same substance as God. But it also the distinction <clears throat> between him and the Father. Right. They're right there in John one, and, and we're seeing that in John. And you even as well. see, and just to point this back, I mean, some people will make much of, let's say, in the in Genesis one one two, for instance, um, that they'll they'll say that. Um, or not John Genesis one one in what's it one twenty four whenever when when God says 
let us make man in our image, and they'll mm -hmm. refer to the to the sort of plurality of that pronoun of us, let, let us make man in our image as a Trinitarian sort of hint. And it's like, yeah, that's there. But even if you go back further to Genesis 1, 1, and, and 2, it's that in the beginning, um, God created the heavens and the earth, right? So you have God. Mm -hmm. uh, and then it talks about how the earth was formless and void, and the spirit hovered over the waters, mm -hmm. or over the deep. And then it says, and then God said, right? Yeah. And so right there in the opening words of Genesis 1-1, you have this, this being God, and then you have this spirit of God that's, that's hovering over the, the void, and then you have the word of God going out and animating the, the creative power of God. And, 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 you know, and so you have there these three components, right? Mm -hmm. and, and now you couldn't derive Trinitarian theology no, as we not. understand it biblically from that. Yeah. But as you read the whole of the biblical yeah. text, you can see back into that and go, yeah. oh, they're all present here. And it's and, the word of yeah. God and the spirit of God and the God, the father all here giving like in this creative act. Yeah. In light of later revelation, you look back at Genesis 1, 1 and say, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. 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 Right. And so, so the seeds of it are being sown there though. Yeah. So what we're saying, and we've, we've talked about this, is that the Father, Son, and Spirit, co-eternal. Yeah. They've all existed, eternity, past, now, uh, and future, right? They're also all co-equal, like we talked about earlier. Uh, they're, they're, Meaning they all share divine attributes and qualities. Yes. Equally. They are all fully God. Right. Right. And um, th that, that also doesn't stack them on top of each other, kind of like a, a, a leaderboard or a, or a sphere of dominance like we talked about, right? So they're, they're all in unity together, working in distinct roles. And I think that's the important part of not getting caught up in, okay, you see these, the, Jesus submitting to the will. You see the Holy Spirit coming uh, forth you know, from the Father and the Son, right? Uh, you see that's the distinctiveness of their, of their functions as, as, uh, or their roles, Right, mm -hmm. but they're all united in their 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 purpose. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's us putting those biblical strands uh, of data together. So here's just some some affirmations on the Trinity from uh, that we can kind of pull. Um, one, like we said, there's one and only true and living God. This one God eternally exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. These three persons are completely equal in attributes, each with the same divine nature. While each person is fully and completely God, the persons are not identical. The differences among Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are found in the way they relate to one another and the role each one plays in accomplishing their unified purpose. Yeah, amen. Okay, so so Boom. One, one more one more topic that w that I wanted to have time for here is on trinitarian love because I think this do is we have one time for I it? think I think we can do it I think we do it. Um, you're looking at the time today. So. I know I'm looking at the time. All right. I think this is worth. I think I think a lot of people would would love to, to talk through something like this. Well, so. and I think this matters. Like so, a, a lot of what we're talking about here does have functional um, or or practical implications for us, but it's not necessarily obvious on the surface. Mm -hmm. And we 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 never want to be a church or a, a, in our discipleship. We never want to just uh, develop head knowledge without you know. Um, heart impact and without real world, like, here's why this doctrine matters, right? So we want, we want deep theology, rich theology, but we want it to be also personal and, and, and uh, live theology, Yeah. right? 
So this is the part where I think that this is this hopefully will help take yeah. people into that. So. Yeah. So we've all heard that God is love. Like this is a this is a coffee cup verse, right? In um, First John, when you you hear verses seven and eight, where it says, "For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love." So we've all heard that God, God is, is love. love. All right, here's the dilemma. All right, if God is not trinitarian, being one in being and three in divine distinct persons, then how is He love? Because if you think about it, lo- love. Requires, it's a relational trait. It's a relational trait. It requires an object to love, right? What I wrote down was love requires an object to place affection upon. If he is simply one, if God is simply one being and one person, right, before creation, he had nothing to love. All he had was power, right? If it's just one person of God in eternity past, how could he be eternally loved? Because he had nothing to love. Yeah. So. Yeah, so but because God is in himself three persons, yes. he is able within himself to then be love and demonstrate love and experience love because there's this self-giving love from Father to Son and to Spirit, from the Spirit to the Son and the Father, from the Son to the Spirit. And the, there's this kind of, as C.S. Lewis calls it, right, this sort of uh, dance yeah. that's going on in the eternal yeah. this community right right so so when you think about that text from first john where it's giving us a model for love in the idea that love comes from god and god is love he's saying that because god god's uh, within the godhead their their relationship within each other between father and son and spirit particularly you see this all throughout the gospel this intimate relationship and unity between the father and son it's been modeled for us in God, in eternity, right. forever, this idea of God. And you even you see this it with idea the way that the Father glorifies the Son, the Son glorifies the Father, the Son, the Spirit comes to glorify the Son with us, right, and to and to demonstrate the glory of the Father. So there's this self, uh, or, or this this uh, delighting in one another, this glorifying of one another, this giving of themselves to the to the other members of the Trinity um, for the entire glorification and exaltation of the the oneness of God. <laughs> yeah. The text I, I wrote down that makes me think of that, of what you're talking about, is John 17, 24 through 26, where it says, where Jesus is, is praying here, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So so the the idea there is that our standard of love is not God's love for us. That's not the eternal ultimate standard. The idea and model and standard of love is the standard of love eternally existing within the Trinity. The perfect model of love between the Father and the Son gives us a picture of love to follow. We are to be one in love like they are. So the, the, the model for us to be one and love each other is found in the Trinity of God in eternity. And I think that's, a, mm-hmm. that's an amazing thought. Yeah, and, and um, this is something I'm just thinking about, that where Jesus talks about how his prayer then for us is that we would be one, right? And that's in John 17, yeah. is that we would be one as they are one. And so he is talking about that deep relational connectivity and love and affection and delighting in and over one another as God's people, 
uh, that that uh, elevating of one another, the the giving of preference to one another, um, the in some appropriate sense, the glorifying of each yeah, other, right sure. over ourselves, and um, and so none of that, of course, being native to our sinful personalities. Um, but that being native to God's personality and now having this newness of life from the spirit in us that we actually have the, the internal capacities from God to treat one another this way yeah. in human community. For sure. So, uh, and quote, that's part of the supernaturalizing of the church. Right? A quote on this that I love from Michael Horton. Uh, he, he says this, God's very aim in saving us is that the love the Father eternally had for the Son might be in those who believe in Him, and that we might enjoy the Son as the Father also has. Thus salvation itself is God's almighty love for His Son overflowing to His rebellious creatures. Mm. That's a beautiful thought yeah. of this model of love in the Trinity that's eternally existed. So, And a little plug for Michael Horton, corechristianity.com. Yes, a worthwhile site to uh, and a great spend book. time in. And a good book. Great book. Great sight. Yeah, so there's the, the Trinity. There's a lot of theologians <laughs> who would be listening to this that would be like, oh my gosh, these guys left out 99% of the right, sure. uh, of things. But, th- but I think that's a good working definition that we gave. And, and just, I, here's, here's, here's where we need to be, I think, as Christians, is if somebody asks us, what's the Trinity? Or why do you believe the Trinity? We should be able at least to give a working definition. And... Uh, and be able to look at some text on that. So I would just encourage everybody to, to, to think deeply about these things, obviously in how they, they impact you, but also how we proclaim them uh, amongst the world. Yeah, and I think you had something on here at the end of the show notes that you sent yesterday about, what was it? Some practical? Last, yeah, the practical points. And yeah. I do want to highlight that. Uh, I, I spoke Sunday... Um, in in some level of um, uh, of our uh, I, I guess I was talking about spiritual warfare and and some of those things and we were talking about prayer specifically as one of the ways that we engage and that I believe is uh, you just continuing to struggle myself to maybe uh, be as prayerful as I would like to be pastorally and personally um, and and so I want to just urge us towards a trinitarian life of prayer yes that one of the and and not just towards a life of prayer i think this is one of the greatest avenues we have to sharpen our thinking about the trinity and to deepen our connection with each distinct person in the trinity is in your life of prayer Hmm. and so paying attention to who you address in your prayer so jesus taught us to pray our father who art in heaven I, i will say this i think the 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 majority of our prayers should be addressed towards the Father, generally. But there are distinctive aspects of who, who and how, how the Son operates and what the Spirit does in terms of our dependency upon Him for, um, for uh, our daily life and, and, and the resourcing that we need to walk with Jesus. And so um, I just would urge you towards a intentional development of Trinitarian prayers yes. so that you address... Father, Son, and Spirit distinctively in your own personal prayer as well as in your, your shared prayer time with other people. Um, and a, a, as a way of developing your own thinking about that and, and a sense of appreciation of the different aspects of our life with God um, that is maybe nurtured in different ways by each member of the Trinity. Yeah. I hope that makes sense. I think that's the place where we can really deepen our sense of this. 
There you go. What about you? any last word from you on that? <laughs> I'm trying to keep this under one hour, and we're close. <laughs> okay, we're close. All right. We're close. So recommendation from you was? Yes. The Forgotten Trinity by James R. White. It is a short book. Very. It's. I mean, it's short, but it's, it's packed. Um, it's been a standard introduction to the Trinity book in many seminaries for the last 20, maybe 25 years. Okay. Um, Which I have but, not But read. also very accessible. Okay. Very accessible. So another, another more recent uh, yeah. kind of popular level book on the Trinity yes. that I commend to everybody would be Michael Reeves' Delighting in the Trinity. Mm. Yeah, another great one so. for sure. There you go. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hope you uh, will think deeply and, uh, on the Trinity and hopefully it results in some weekday worship for you. Yeah, man. I'm a man. All right. I'm 40. All right. That's, we're done.